The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Good morning. Go ahead and take your Bibles, and if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll get there in just a moment. I just wanted to continue this week kind of on the theme we've been looking at the last two weeks as we've thought about trials and troubles in this life, and then inevitably what naturally comes as a result of trials and troubles or anxieties that we might feel. A couple of, couple of side notes. Blake, I love you. Uh, I had actually texted Blake this morning, and I gave him the wrong date, and Blake did not throw me under the bus. Isn't that great? Uh, that's good. One other thing, too, Centra kids, our kids were at camp this last week, and I got information this morning. I learned that we had four kids, I think it was, that came to Christ uh, from our children's ministry during the week, and there was one baptism, I think, if I'm right. Uh, so I hope I'm not telling our preacher lie there, but I know there were four or five decisions this week, so it's just great to see what God's doing in that generation. Um, I've been married 35 years. This last May, yeah, right? Um, but one thing after 35 years, I still can't figure her out. Does anybody understand that? Uh, like, for instance, I cannot figure out why she has three separate towels in the kitchen. One of the towels is to only be used on the countertop. One of the towels is to only be used to dry dishes with. And the other towel is only used to wipe your hands. Now, the thing is, the, here's, here's where she doesn't play fair. She changes periodically where which towel is supposed to be. And so yesterday I had come in from working in the yard, uh, some gardening, and my hands were dirty and I needed to wash them, and I'm confessing right now, I washed them at the kitchen sink, and I reached and I grabbed a towel, really not thinking about which towel, and I washed my hands with the towel, and I realized that all the residue that was on my hands came off the towel. And all of a sudden, fear and anxiety flooded my heart. And this is one of those Rahab lies. You know, Rahab, she was okay. She was justified in lying about the, sp the spies. So I thought, okay, Sandy cannot find out that I did this. And I'm confessing right now in front of all of you. And so I took the towel and I quickly put it in the dirty clothes hamper, saying she'll never, she'll never know. And I took another towel out of the drawer and put it there in the same place. But I was filled with anxiety. I was fretting over it. You understand what I'm talking about? Uh, David, when he's writing in Psalm 37, he tells us twice as he writes, he says, don't fret. He says, do not fret. And two times he uses that word fret. It's kind of the Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament word anxiety. And behind that word, when he says fret, it, it gives the idea in the Hebrew that it's a, a, a growing warmth or a flame in your belly that's blazing up. Not to fret, not to have anxiety, a growing flame in your belly that's just burning. Uh, another word that's used there means to devour, to eat, to gnaw into something. And you put these words together, and isn't that what anxiety is? 
It's, it's a burning in our gut. It's a fear that begins to come out, and there's a gnawing away, and it seems as though that it's a rat inside of our stomach just chewing us from the inside out. And if I took all of what David writes in Psalm 37, let me summate it for you when he's looking at his life, and this is what concludes him to tell us not to fret. And I'm paraphrasing as what he might have said in kind of different vernacular. He says, I have been young, and now I'm old. In other words, I've experienced life. I've gone through life. I've grown. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen many things, and I've suffered many burdens, and I've learned many lessons. He says, based on a lifetime of experience, my advice is this. Kill off the rats and put out the fires and do not fret. It only causes harm. And isn't that true? Fretting and anxiety really only cause harm in our lives. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about this. Now, this word anxious that's used, that's translated in our New Testament that Jesus says, has the idea of to to strangle, to distress, or to choke out. And when we think about anxiety or fret or worry in our lives, typically, most of the time, what it is caused by is what we have no idea is going to be the future anyway, right? You Google something, your symptoms on WebMD, uh, and you read all of the symptoms that are there, and you figure out you should have been dead six weeks ago. We spend so much of our life worrying about things that we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. And typically, that's where anxiety seems to arise in our lives. Let me give you some verses where this same word is used in the New Testament so we kind of get an idea of this whole thing of anxiety. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus was given the parable about the sower who went out and sowed seed and, and on ground, and there were four different types of soil, and the illustration there is the Word of God that's being sown out, and the soil is the heart of man. And I think there are two of those types of soil that Jesus talks about that were those that came to a place where they trusted Christ and salvation. One was great. It produced a hundredfold in their lifetime. But there's another one that he talks about in verse 22, that as the sower went out to sow among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And isn't that the way many times that it happens, even in the believer's life, where we start out, we're in the word, but the cares of this world, the going after the things of this world, or the world tells us that we're to go out, and eventually it just seems to choke out the word of God, and we live a miserable existence as a believer, just doing the bare minimum, attending church, maybe giving a little bit here and there, but there's really no abundant life that Jesus talked about that we so desire to live. In Luke chapter 10, When Jesus is talking, you remember the story of Martha and Mary. Remember, Martha was running around and busy, and Mary was just sitting there at Jesus' feet, and Martha gets ticked off at Mary because she's doing all the work, and Jesus says that Martha is doing the thing that's most beneficial and just sitting there resting with Jesus. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Notice the tie-in there. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And so anxiety, worry, 
fear, fret, leads that in our lives that there seems to be troubling things. When Jesus was talking in Luke chapter 21 about His second coming, as it would appear, He gives this warning to those that were listening to Him at the time. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. That word could be translated anxiety, the same root word. He says, watch yourselves in view of the return of Christ, that He is coming back. Watch yourself in the meantime that you don't get consumed with the cares of this life. And what Jesus is saying there is, listen, live your life in such a way that you keep the most important thing in sight, and the most important thing in our lives is not what's happening right around us, right? We're of a different kingdom. Our, our value, our stock is not in this life, but it's recognizing that while God allows us to be in this life, there's a purpose and a mission that He's given to us in our life, and we're to invest in that, realizing and recognizing that Jesus is going to return. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the things of this life, but it's a matter of where our focus is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Paul says this, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Aren't you glad to know that Paul dealt with anxiety as well? And so none of us are immune to anxiety. And Paul's given a description of his ministry as an apostle. And he says, daily these anxieties are me. But then I think he recognized when he was in that jail, when he was writing to the Philippians, when he said this in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, do not be anxious about, by fill in the blank, do not be anxious about anything. And then he goes on to say this. He says, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. By prayer and supplication, and the verse that follows that is this, and then the peace of God will transcend your heart and your mind. When we fret, when we're anxious about things, do we typically experience the peace of God in the midst of that? No. And what Paul is saying is, listen, recognize that, that God is in control. That God is a sovereign God, and there's absolutely nothing that's going to come about in your future that He is not aware of, and that He's not allowed to filter through His finger of love. And so take those prayers, and take those requests, and then let the peace of God transcend. Guard is really the word, your hearts and your minds. Have you ever had times where you've been anxious or worried about something and all of a sudden you've imagined the situation far worse than it could possibly ever be? Yeah. Worried about relationships and you've imagined that the person has sent you a text that says, Hey man, is everything okay? All of a sudden you imagine, well, something's wrong with them or something's not right in our relationship and you just go all over the place. Are they okay? This last week somebody sent me a text and says, hey, can we have lunch together? And this person has never invited me or asked me out for lunch and I thought, oh no, what's wrong, right? 
Or what am I doing wrong? And so these anxieties begin to come up. Well, that's where anxiety can lead us to, are these vain imaginations. Lastly, Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And, and if you're like me, you read that and you say, yeah, right, Peter. <laughs> right? Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The best word picture to describe what Peter says here when he says cast is actually the word that would mean to hurl. When I was a kid, and y'all won't remember this, but when I was a kid, garbage collectors actually collected the garbage. They got out of the truck, they took the can or the bag, and they would literally hurl them into the truck. Half of it wound up on the street, but the other half made its way into the truck. And so the best picture is that garbage guy taking that bag and us taking our anxieties and literally hurling them on him because, why? Because he cares for us. You see, I recognize in all of this that what Peter talks about and what Jesus is talking about, that the biggest thing is not that we're not to be anxious free, not that we're to be free of anxiety, but to recognize and realize that we have a Heavenly Father that loves us more than we could ever imagine, and He cares deeply for you. Amen. Jesus, when He's writing this in Matthew chapter 6, that we'll get to now, He, he says... Do not be anxious three different times. Now, anytime you see something repeated that many times in that short of verses, there's a point that he's trying to make. And so Jesus says, do not be anxious. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 6 as I begin reading in verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you. Now, anytime we see the word therefore in Scripture, we always have to ask, what's the therefore therefore? And it always leads us back to what's been said previously. And after this, or just before this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about not laying up our treasures on earth or toiling, working all of our life to lay up treasures on earth where, raw, where moths and rust destroy. And when you and I die, our kids are going to come in and it'll kill us again if we know that they throw away 95% of the stuff that we're hanging on to, right? He says, listen, therefore, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he uses the illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we pray that as we uh, look at your word this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, I have no idea what uh, may be going on in, in individual lives in this room, but Lord, you do. And God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would... Speak into their hearts this morning by your living word, God, to give them peace and, Lord, the ability and enablement by your Holy Spirit to literally hurl, to cast their anxieties on you. And, God, I pray that as we leave this morning, Lord, we will recognize that you're a Father who loves us in incredible fashion. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are eight things in this passage that Jesus tells us about anxiety and worry. There are eight things that he tells us of reasons that we should not be anxious. So let's look at the first one. Number one is this, is that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. He says that in verse 25. Again, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or wear, drink, or about your body and what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food and clothing? In other words, that life is far more about food and clothing. And what he's talking about in life, he's making the insinuation here when he says that is not life more than food and clothing? The insinuation is, isn't real life, isn't abundant life, isn't the life that I intend for you to live more important than those things? Because you see, at the end of the day, those things are gone. I remember when my father was in assisted living the last week I was there with him before he passed, and it struck me that as we were there in that assisted living facility, that in the two little rooms that my father was in, all of his earthly possessions were in those two rooms. My father passed away not being a very wealthy man and not having accumulated a lot, but my dad had figured out what real life was all about. And in that weekend before my dad passed, when word had gotten out that my dad was only going to live a few short days, and most of his peer friends had already passed away and gone on, but there were literally over 100 people that had come through my dad's room to see my dad in his last days, and I realized while my dad is not a wealthy man, all of his stuff can fit in these two rooms, he is absolutely more wealthy than any other man that I know, because he understood what real life was and that is relationships. During that time when my dad was passing, we had found a stack of letters that my dad had written to my mother while he was in Pittsburgh working and during the time that I was born. There were love letters that my dad had written to my mother, so we started reading the love letters. And by the way, there were some things in there I wish I hadn't read, right? <laughs> When my dad writes to mom and he had this opportunity in Nashville, my dad was a still guitar player, probably one of the best in the nation, and he had foregone a career opportunity in the music industry in Nashville because he said that it'll interfere and affect my family. You see, dad understood what real life was about. And we toil and we labor and we stress and we add on and we add on and we add on into our lives. And we're full of all of this anxiety. And Jesus is saying, listen, life is far more important than what you wear and what you eat. And we need to recognize that 
valuable life is far more than that. I told my wife last night, I said, you know, I think I'm addicted to doing stuff. Because I have a hard time sitting. And there's always projects that I want to do and stuff that I want to do. And I recognize and realize, wait a minute, all of that stuff is causing me to miss out on so many things right now that God wants me to experience in an abundant life and those things get in my way. The second thing Jesus wants us to know about this anxiety is this, is that God feeds the birds and you're far more valuable than they are. I've got a bird feeder outside of my office window, and the reason I have the bird feeder there is because during the day, I like to watch the birds eat the seed, and it reminds me that if God's able to take care of the birds, He can take care of me also. And we are far more value than they. Now, let me say this, that when Jesus is saying this in verse 26, He's not advocating for idleness and laziness. When He says, look at the birds. They, they, don't, they don't store up. They, they don't work. He, he's not saying that. But what he's saying is they don't worry about the question of whether or not they're going to have enough for tomorrow because the Father provides for them every day what their needs are. Are not you more valuable than He? You see, I've come to recognize that oftentimes one of the things that we as believers sometimes have a hard time recognizing is that we are of great value to God. And it stands to reason, especially in our culture, because in our culture, value is typically equated to what we do or how we perform. Or what can we bring to the table? Can I tell you something? That in your relationship and my relationship to Father, we have absolutely nothing to bring to the table. And He values us with great value. No matter what you did or what you didn't do this morning. Now, no matter what you do this afternoon or you don't do this afternoon. No matter how many spiritual hoops you jump through, the Father can never love you any more than He did the day before you came to know Christ. He loves you and He values you. The third thing is this, that not only does He value us apart from anything that that we might ever do, number three is this, it's pointless to worry and to have anxiety because it will not add one moment to your life. Has anybody ever calculated of the times they worried and said, okay, I just added another hour to my life? Sounds stupid. Sounds preposterous. As a matter of fact, medical science will tell us that, that worry and anxiety is one of the leading killers in our culture. One of the things about our abundance that we have in our culture, it seems that that really it's a two-edged sword. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above, but it seems to be that it adds more anxiety and worry and stress in Americans' life than if we didn't have anything at all. Sometimes I think we have too much. You know, we have the opportunity and we buy this next thing, maybe it's, a, I, I don't know, uh, maybe it's another vehicle and, 
or not, and I got to be careful because somebody's going to say, wait a minute, he's talking to me. No, I'm just talking to all of us. So we get this other stuff and we realize, you know, I don't have room to put this stuff. So I got to stress out and figure out how I can add on to my property or put another building on my property so I can put this other stuff in that I've got, that I've got to wade through. And then I realize and recognize, wait a minute, I just got that item and it requires maintenance. And so now I have to add it to my schedule that I got to maintain this thing and keep it up, whether it's another place and another location, etc. And we get all this stuff. And what is good can turn out to be terribly bad for us in our lives. I won't talk about sports. <laughs> Sometimes I remember the pressure as a parent that, that I thought my kids had to be involved in everything, right? Because both of them are going to be professionals. I know they are. And I came to realize, wait a minute. All this stuff we're adding in because I think I need to give my kids this stuff. And I need to give my kids every opportunity to succeed in life. What I realize is that it's actually tearing apart my family. Because we never have any time together. And I'm not doing what's most valuable. And that's investing my life into my kids. Amen or oh my. You see, at the end of the day, it's a good time, but I'm not sure that it adds to the life that Jesus desires for us to have. Number four is this, that if God clothes short-lived grass and lilies, then will He not more abundantly clothe that which is of eternal value, and that's you and I? You see, He says these, these, these things are going to wither away. The grass is here for a short time, and the, the lily only blooms for a season. And look how beautiful they are. And as beautiful as they are, they're not going to be here tomorrow. And how much more of, of value are you and I to a heavenly Father? He says here, consider the lilies. In other words, think about this. That if God places such value in, in the beauty of that thing, how much more... In our own lives, will he do that? Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. He says, all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The illustration there is that in, in our lives, what, what we invest in, are we investing in something that's going to last for eternity, or are we investing in something that is gone in a flash and we forget it three years later? What's of greater value? And I would propose that at the end of our day, when we really are at that point in that place, if we have opportunity to contemplate it, there may be misery in the fact that we didn't invest it in the things that were of greater value. James says this in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Peter also says that as believers, that we are just sojourners in a foreign land. That we're, we're not of this kingdom. We are not of this world. 
and the reason I think that, that God works in our lives as, as we grow older and older, it seems to be, trust me, this will happen, that the things of this earth grow strangely dim in light of the hope that we have, that we know that we are going to be with Him for eternity. And it's a life that we've never seen, so it's hard to imagine but we know that there's not going to be any sorrow there. We know that there's not going to be any pain there. We know that there'll be no more weeping, no more tears. Disease will be gone. And what he says, listen, I want you to recognize that you are just a sojourner. And a sojourner in a foreign land never feels at home. And that's a good thing. We don't want to feel at home here. We want to be used and we want to be effective here with the purpose that He's given us, and that's to win people to Christ, to make disciples and send them, and to bring glory to Him. But recognizing that this is not the final end for us. Number five is this, that unbelievers are anxious about stuff, and you're not an unbeliever. You see, He uses a phrase in verse 32 that, that the Gentiles or the unbelievers worry about these things, but you're not an unbeliever. In other words, listen, God has transformed your life. You've been born again, and now the old value system that you once held has been radically changed by Him. And what you used to be concerned about he has changed you, and it's not that everything that we were concerned about were bad at all, but He has given us the joy of hope of knowing that there is something greater that He has in store for us. You see, when we worry about these things, anxieties, oftentimes it can lead to greater degrees of bondage in our lives rather than setting us free when we cast our cares on Him. Number six, your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things and that you're anxious about nothing. I thought about this, you know, the Father knows what we need before we ever ask Him, right? But here's the other side of that. I'm glad the Father knows what I don't need as well as what I need. This last week, a person in our Tuesday night class was sharing their presentation. And I think his presentation was on faith. And he shared the story of how some years ago he had wanted to get on with one of the major airline carriers to be a pilot in a commercial airliner. He would worked his whole career to get to this place. And there were two applicants or two that were in final consideration, he and another gentleman that he worked with currently. And, and the other gentleman had kind of lied to, to get in with the interview. And, and as both of them were interviewed, the guy that had lied to get into the interview was the one that got the job. And he thought, God, I'm trying to do everything right. I'm trying to follow you. And I was honest with him as to why I couldn't make the previous interview. And this guy gets the job and he lied to him. And he was kind of upset. God, why? I, I thought only a year and a half later, the major airline that he wanted to go on with collapsed and failed. And every employee with that airline lost their job. You see, sometimes God knows what we don't need, even when we think we need it. So what's that tell us? We've got to trust God. He has our life under control. And the reason we can trust Him because, is because He is a faithful loving father 
the old, don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you remember the old black and white, Father Knows Best? Listen, <laughs> Father Knows Best. Number seven, when you seek God's kingdom and His righteousness, what you need will be added to you. What Jesus is saying there is, J-Mo, get your priorities right. Seek me, seek my kingdom and, and my righteousness as a disciple, as a Christ follower. Imitate me and listen, then all this other stuff will take care of itself. One of the indications in my life that I'm, I'm not seeking him first is when I start worrying about daydreaming, etc., other things, and my focus is not on Him. When our focus is on Him, all that other stuff takes care of itself. But can I be honest with you? Sometimes I, I can start my quiet time, and I have my quiet time, and I recognize I can't even remember what my quiet time was like. It was real quiet. And the reason is, is because my mind is racing with all this other stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then these other things will be added to it. Lastly is this. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow's trouble, it's going to be there. It's last week. I, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I take the coat off for a second and just kind of share with you what really got, got me this last week? I, you know, you, you, you care for the body and you care for the, and, and all of a sudden my, 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 my anxieties begin to angst up, thinking we're not doing enough. So I started going through my mind, what bells and whistles can I add to what we're doing in ministry here to cause growth and all this other kind of stuff, which is good, but that's where my focus was. And I found myself making some pretty stupid plans, trying to put bells and whistles into place. What was it driven by? fear and anxiety and Lord reaffirm my heart J-Mo keep your hand to the plow you know what we've called y'all to do we've called y'all to win people to Jesus make disciples and send them for Jesus and then I was reminded of this group right here I was reminded of the centric kids and what God is doing in their lives. I was reminded of the different ones that have begun to engage in one-on-one in, in -on -one discipleship within our body and we know that fruit's going to come from that I said, listen, I've got it under control. Don't try to take the will in your own hands and make it happen. And can I tell you this? That in your life, whatever it is that you're facing today, whatever the anxiety may be, maybe it's over family, maybe it's over a relationship, maybe it's over money, maybe it's over a job, whatever your fear is, I can tell you this. Based on the Word of God, God is very aware of your situation. The Father loves you. The Father has a plan for your life. And the Father will never leave you nor forsake you. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.